stepping back and stroking to Bogdanovich, thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! See it again. No double team help and Embiid takes it right to the rack. going on everybody it is friday evening about 5 10 on a rainy night in philadelphia in late october i am joined by my good friend tiago scavia a great sixers writer that we all know from our website the range lines tiago how are we today halloween weekend man you forgot to mention that that's right yeah that's right. All the spookies come out tomorrow during against in the Hawks game, right? <laughs> I know we're gonna see some uh, wild, uh, wild costumes out there. I'll, I'll actually be out there, so I'm excited to see Trey yeah. Young live and in color. See what all the fuss is about. So yeah, yeah, no, definitely. It's got it's. We'll, I don't have a good feeling about the game, but we'll see. Tiago, <laughs> <laughs> um, we have a lot to talk about. There are three and two uh, through the first week of this season, and. It's been an ugly three and two, I would say. Um, a lot of trends, I think, that are not just going to resolve with time, because you look at the personnel on the roster and you're like, no, this is. If, if if assuming Ben does not come back, this is the group that they have. Um, so through one week, I wanted to get five observations from you, and I will give five of my own. Um, so with that, you will get started here. Um, you go first. First observation you want to talk about. Well, my first observation in general, this is not one of them, but this season so far, it feels like a, a divorce or like when you're in a breakup and you're in that like stage of like, you don't know what's going on. Are you guys still together or not? And you're trying to sort out the end of the relationship. Yeah. That's kind of what it feels because it doesn't feel like this is a team we're going to see either at the second half of the year or even next year. So the fact that you have Ben Simmons slot for whatever he makes sitting there and not being used, it's kind of like a big problem. I mean, whatever you think of Ben Simmons, the player, like you need to have that money playing on the court for you to be a good team. (laughs) It's just the way that the math of the NBA works. So. It's a little bit awkward right now. Like you said, it doesn't feel like a good team out there on a regular basis, but there are like good signs to point to. Um, my first takeaway is, I mean, there's a lot of narratives around Joel Embiid and the fact that he's not healthy and the fact that he's taking it easy or, you know, whatever the narrative may be. I'm actually like a little more bullish on Joel than most people are. <laughs> yeah, almost to me because it's been so bad so far <laughs> yeah i mean you look at it 21 points a game you're like holy crap what's going on out there yeah it's clearly like they're he's slowing himself back into the season and they're using him differently so they use him less on the post and they use him more like as a top of the key kind of creator for the offense a passer he's passing a lot more he's assisting on shots a lot more so they're using him almost like a creator within the offense with the context that they don't really have a point guard on the court that can kind of do those things for them. So when you look at it in more detail, if you look at Joel Embiid's like isolation numbers, 
they're like way higher than they were last year. So he's averaging 1.18 points per possession. Last season, he averaged 1.06 point per possession. His isolation numbers are also up from last year. So when he sets his mind to taking on the matchup 101, he's just as dominant as he was last year, if not more. So there are signs pointing positive to Joel Embiid. It's just that we're not seeing the same type of dominance in the post, getting shots, getting the free throw line, and kind of seeing that type of dominance take over games. But when I look at those numbers and I watch you out in space, I still, I'm still very, very bullish that he can be that dominant player that we saw for most of last year and eventually get into a MVP-type conversation through the next, you know, second half of the year and so forth. But, you know, don't, don't, don't sleep on Joel Embiid yet because I think he's got a lot left in the tank, obviously. Yeah, um, I would venture. Well, so I know for a fact. Like I, I, I looked at the numbers myself, and his efficiency in the mid range has taken a, a hit so far. Yeah. And I think the ones that he's making are the ones where he's like doing the pull. He's like he's pulling up. Like he, he's it's off the dribble. And I think what that means is he's gathering. He's physics mandates that he's got momentum under the ball when he's coming off of a pull-up versus off of a catch. So he's not doing as much jabbing and, and shooting, but rather like two dribble pull-ups or like one dribble pull-ups. And I think part of that is the knee. I think the knee is, is causing some soreness, the lift under his shot in like a standstill environment or where he's jabbing and then shooting, the, the lift isn't there. And so I think some of the – a lot of the missing – out of the mid range that he that he's had is is from that knee because his touch is way better than that usually, mm-hmm. and um, I think his I think he feels a lack of explosiveness even if he doesn't admit it, and as a result he's kind of bailing defenses out with that mid range shot a little bit more, and it's not efficient, which is why he really hasn't had a he had not had a good game until you know against Detroit Thursday. Um, but I mean, I think that's something that will get better with time. Now, like if Ben doesn't come back and they're like a 500 team and there's obviously no point in them trotting him out there every night, maybe you have the surgery, get the knee fixed and then, you know, whatever you, you go get, you yeah. go get, like, you go get Chet Holmgren or Paolo Banchero, whatever you want and uh, call it a rebuild. I never understood why he didn't get the surgery during the summer. If that was I didn't get it either. I asked around about it. I never really got a straight answer. I just don't think he wanted it, but it was there was a there was a, a very not a good enough answer, man. Yeah. You're a professional, bro. <laughs> that is just not a good enough answer. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, I agree with you. I think you know, I, I will. I'm actually shocked that his efficient that his ISO numbers are, are so high. I guess because he's doing a lot more initiating himself. Yeah, um, and he's sort of forging that a little bit. I think a little bit of it is like he's, you know. He's pump faking, attacking closeouts more, and just getting to the rim. He did that a little bit more yesterday. Did it a lot against New Orleans, but didn't do it really against Brooklyn or Oklahoma City um, or the Knicks, really. Um, but I think just like athleticism and physicality in an opponent is not like he, he struggles with that a little bit in general, and when, especially when they throw doubles. And I thought against the Knicks, he really struggled with just like staying out of trouble um, with that, and he kind of relied on the outside shooting more than he should have. Um, 
against the Nets or Athletic. So he was, I think he was maybe leveraging a little bit extra energy to keep up on the defensive end. Maybe it took away from his offensive game. Um, against Oklahoma City, it was just sort of like a, it was just sort of Seth is playing and we'll just sit back and watch a little bit and, uh, you know, whatever. But last think- night, he looked like himself, even, even yeah. if, even though he, even though he like clearly grimaced a little bit um, after he like pump faked, attacked the closeout and dunked it in the first quarter, he would still look more like himself. And he was hitting the mid range jumpers. He was at 38%, I think, heading into the game um, last night. I would imagine that pull up jumper efficiency is probably gone up to about, above 40 uh, because of that game because he was hitting them last night. But uh, we'll see. Tomorrow against the Hawks is going to be a big test. See how that knee really feels. Because I know for, I, I would be blown away if he doesn't play in that game against the Hawks. Yeah, just one point on that because I do think he's kind of saving himself a little bit because like there are moments defensively where he really explodes to the rim and contests the shot at the rim and looks like the old Joel doing it. So I think he's kind of picking his spots on when and how to do that. Offensively, he's obviously like saving up for for, for the long haul, but. Uh, defensive, at least defending the rim and the uh, and the paint, has been really really good for the Sixers again this year. So I'm I'm bullish on Joel. I'm not I'm not. There's some talk out there that Joel is uh, slowing down and whatnot. Like I'm not buying any of that stuff. So no, I mean I, I don't know that to be the case. I don't I don't. I mean you don't see 27 year olds slow down. Like I don't I don't I don't. I don't yeah, he's that. a different 27. You know, he's got a lot of wear and tear, and he throws his body around. So. But I'm I'm bullish. Yeah. Um, my first observation, number one, um, probably not the most significant observation of all the observations, but to Isaiah Joe has already fallen out of the rotation. It's been like two, <laughs> Who could have like, predicted that? <laughs> it's been like two, it's been he got like two minutes and that was it. Um, you know, I, I think maybe Shake, if Shake struggles, he will get out. He know like 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 like, like uh, Isaiah will have a better chance of getting into the rotation again, but it was not a very uh, real chance that he got. And I think, you know, you, you, <laughs> you, I know who you're thinking about. <laughs> and to be fair, while yes, it was a very 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 itchy trigger to pull him out of the rotation, and I would have given him more time. If he's not making shots, what is his purpose really? But Austin, so a couple of things. First of all, they were really, really using him as a spot-up threat when he was on the court. Like, they were trying to have him uh, initiate the offense a little bit, and that's not his, his strong suit. Now, granted, he missed a lot of shots, but to me, he's a spot-up shooter in the NBA. So get him in advantageous, advantageous positions on the court to do that. And then second of all, like, I'll ask you the question. If Danny Green came tomorrow and he was like, hey, Doc, I need a night off because I haven't hit a shot all year, and I – playing terribly and i'm putting up zeros on the score sheet do you think doc would at that point go to isaiah joe or they would just give those minutes to like shake and Korkmaz and just double down on what he knows now it would undoubtedly go to like shake and uh, uh, Korkmaz. probably go to Korkmaz. who by the way i wouldn't say hasn't earned that right by the way i mean yeah. Korkmaz has been very good so far um so i mean you know but i do get the point that like there's no reason why uh, Isaiah Joe shouldn't be in this rotation right now. It's wild, man. It's wild. Yeah. But, yeah. but we could predict it because, you know, he, he has a very short fuse with that. Yeah, you, you're you a big Doc Rivers fan. I, I heard actually that you're the president of the Doc Rivers fan club. Hey, it's it's uh, it's a fan club that's growing by the second. 
That's right. <laughs> membership, uh, handing out memberships by the day now. So, That's right. are you going to lead the, the when, when he inevitably gets fired in like year four? Are you going to lead the? Uh, are you going to lead the? Uh, like, I guess the what, what's what's it what's it called? The protest down down the middle of Broad Street. <laughs> I got better things to do with my time than that, man. But I'll be out there. <laughs> okay, yeah. You might be a part of the support group. <laughs> sure for sure <laughs> yeah all right N- your number two uh so, so far so my number two which was really like my number one heading to the year was tyrese maxi uh and then uh, we expected tyrese maxi to really come in and um really have a expanded role within the offense so from a minutes perspective he has i mean he starts the team he's logging i don't know off the top of my head 25 plus minutes a game give and take so that's clearly from a minutes perspective, um, it's an expanded role. Um, now, when you watch him on the court, uh, it's really hard to see how he's a point guard. And I thought you had the perfect tweet yesterday, which was <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> I thought the tweet encapsulated everything about Doc Rivers's uh, approach with Maxi, which is yes, you have him out there as a your starting point guard, but theoretically, you're being using him as a floor spacer, which. Uh, it doesn't really make much sense. He ain't facing no damn floor out there. <laughs> He's not, man. And like, it seems like what's happened. He took he took the the playbook with Ben Simmons, and he said Ben Simmons out, and I'm gonna put Tyrese Maxey in where Ben Simmons usually stands on the court. Yeah, and uh, it's not <laughs> how I would use Tyrese Maxey in the offense. <laughs> but again, I'm not a head coach. I think that this is. Uh, this is the moment to find out what you have with the kid. And it's clearly that Doc doesn't really trust him running the offense. Now, he may see things in practice that we don't. That warrants why Tyrese Max is playing more off the ball. But uh, when you watch him offensively, he does a lot of basic things. So he just hands the ball off to Joel, goes to the corner. Yeah. Or his reads are very defined and very basic. So it's tough to see Tyrese Maxey as anything today anything other than like a low-end starter in the nba because you're not seeing the dynamic element of his game come into fruition um so again bring bring that up in a bigger picture uh uh, picture is you know if you're thinking about how you're going to invest tyrese max either as a member of your team or a trade asset you're not really getting any of the answers that you're you really want at this point in time with ben sims being off the floor so I would hope that his role not only expands in minutes, but also in like usage and then see exactly. And then, and they may come in the form of losses. Like they may lose games where you're like, holy hell, Tyrese Max is a disaster. But I'm okay with that if they're giving the kid the ball and let him initiate offense. So I'm hoping that that changes over time. But I'm not particularly happy with his usage and his play when he's gotten the chance. I mean, it's been kind of up and down as well. So, yeah. So, Yes, I agree. Um, Maxi shooting from three so far this year, 29.4% on 3.4 attempts per game. So, yeah, not good enough. Um, and he's shooting 45.9% from the field. Not ideal either. Um, what I would say is – so Seth is an okay ball handler with that starting unit. He's fine. If he doesn't turn the ball over a ton. He can. He's he's capable of it. A little herky jerky with the dribble, and I kind of like that. But like, he's all right. Um, I guess Doc likes the 
shooting gravity that he has as a as 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 a, as a dribbler, which I guess is something that they don't really have otherwise in the roster. For sure, it's fair. Having said that, the goal of the point guard should be to create like open looks for the teammates, right? And who's better at getting downhill than Tyrese Maxey? Is it Seth Curry or is it Tyrese Maxey? Like that, that's a very obvious question. Perhaps um, at the moment, Seth is the better passer. I don't know that to be the case, but I just can't think of a reason why the ball wouldn't be in Maxey's hand. He's not a good enough shooter yet to warrant him as a, as a, as a floor spacer. And he also just is not in the right position to be in the, a yeah. floor spacer. Um, and so I wrote this in my, in my, in my game story last night, switching those roles, like the, the person, like the seat, the individual personnel ceiling is not going to change with those roles. If you switch them around, but the sum of the parts has a higher ceiling. If you switch those roles around, which I think is I agree. what the point is that we're trying to get at here. So I agree with you. Um, Maxie's, I don't know that it's been a disappointment per se, because I think maybe we expected like, or that people expected too much out of him. Cause they, number one, they were like, this is the rebound guy after the Ben breakup. Um, so like, we're trying to inflate the hell out of like what he can do. And it's a lot for him to process. And he's trying to be the starting point guard or the starting whatever guard on the contender. Um, I was talking to a scout last night for the game um, about Tyrese. And he was like, well, how many, how many guards are starting and, and playing a major impact on contenders. And I, and I, he was and for, that are second year guys right now. And he was like, maybe it's Maxi and I, Emmanuel quickly. Um, well, quickly barely plays now. He's like a bench. Yeah, guy. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah right. It's, he but, was last year. Now he's completely taking a backseat to Kemba. Yeah. Right. So the point holds though, like it's not a very common thing for a second year guard, especially at that size that wasn't a top five pick in the draft to be playing, you know, significant minutes for a contender um, and being cast in such a role for a contender. So was, I think that's an interesting point that maybe dial it back a little bit and maybe <laughs> temper and account for a little hot and cold, a little variance and shooting and variance of play the course of the season. I will tell you this though. Let me ask you this question before you say that. And you have to answer it. Are the six a contender? <laughs> that's you don't have to answer that question, but that is a I know they're a contender on paper, but I have my they're a on that. playoff contender. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about championship contender. Yeah, I don't think you I don't think I can get there quite yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, I need to see a lot more before I say anything about that. Um but that doesn't mean fans shouldn't be interested. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff on this team. You saw that team. they're good at they're they're an oak, they're a fine team, but no. Without Ben Simmons and without an engaged Ben Simmons, yep. you're not going to be what you need to be. Um, now, uh, what was I going to say? I forget what I was going to say. Mandel's on me. <laughs> oh, wait. No. Can't, I forget it. Okay, never mind. We'll move on. Um, my second observation. George Niang's three-point volume. I tweeted this out last night. 8.6 three-point attempts per 36 minutes. People might ask why I do it per, per 36 minutes. That's to simulate what it would be if he were a starter. Um, his efficiency, I think, is like in the 40s uh, because he's making like three-point something per game. I don't remember the exact figure it was, but it was like 
three point something or like maybe two point something per game, but it was basically good enough uh, efficiency where it was like, okay, we can live with this. Um, now he's not a great defender. He's not, a, he's okay at attacking closeouts. Um, he's actually shooting 54.3% from three or 54.5% from three, I should say. Um, so that's pretty good. Um, 2.4 out of 4.4 per game, but the per 36 yeah. is 8.6, which is really good. Um, you just need a guy in that second unit to just bombs away. Like every, just, just, just don't think about it. Catch, go yeah. catch guys. And they hit them at like a 37% efficiency or higher. I don't expect Niang to maintain a 54 and a half percent efficiency. Although I think we're, getting towards an era of basketball in the NBA where guys are going to be hitting in the mid fifties from three at some point in the next couple of years. And it's going to be like a thing that's sustainable. Um, but I just think right now he's been really good for them. Again, defense, not great. He, they hemorrhage points when he's playing five, um, but he just spaces the floor. Well, he just catches and shoots. He's unconscious with it. Um, that's really all you need because even if the offense isn't pretty for the overall second unit, all you need a guy to do is make like two shots yeah. just, to, just to give them some life while the first unit rests. And then the first unit comes back in the supplement. Anyway, you just can't have like a six minute run without scoring a point. while the other starters rest. Nah, he's a, he's a phenomenal get. You got to give their more a lot of credit for that because yeah. he's exactly what they need in that role. Uh, I, I was looking at some of the numbers. The NBA has a stat that they track, which means uh, how many points above average do you contribute from your field goal shooting? Mm-hmm. And, and there's obviously a list of 400 some NBA players. There are only four players right now in the NBA that contribute more in less minutes. Uh, so that gives an idea of the impact that he has uh, on the court from his shot selection and his shooting uh, efficiency um, to be able to be in that list. So uh, I think he's second on the team behind uh, Seth Curry, obviously. So uh, you can really see how his shooting is just a critical, critical uh, point of this team and the bench. And I would love to see like him pair with Ben Simmons because he's a type of player that we've screened about for a very long time to be paired with Ben Simmons. They had that with like Bellinelli and those guys. He's your classic catch and shoot, doesn't think, doesn't react, run the floor, you know, runs the corner, knows exactly where to be on the court. And Ben seems to thrive with those players more. Um, they, he kind of had that with Mike Scott, but the Mike Scott couldn't hit anything. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm very happy for, for Niang. I thought that was just a phenomenal uh, get by Moore. I think they should just bring back – they should just rest and beat for like eight games, bring Ben back, and then let – let go Ben Niang, Maxi Curry uh, – or no. Ben Niang – um, Tobias, no, no, Tobias, no, that, that lineup would give up all the points, but they also <laughs> score a lot of points, too. I like, I like it, yeah. I'm all for it, I'm all for it. I now, I will give Doc credit in this respect, he's been a little more, bit more willing to like experiment with different bullshit for like two minutes per game <laughs> instead of like sticking with the same rigid lineup. So, I'll give him credit in that department. But, um, I, I you, what is your next observation? So, I mean, I was going to mention the bench. Uh, so, I, th- I think as a whole, if you look at the bench as a whole, it's been a positive for the Sixers compared to what they had last year. So, last year was stretches of utter disaster where they would just, uh, you know, just completely fall apart and, and leaders evaporate very quickly. 
I think that, like you said, Niang, huge. So the Sixers now are top 10 in three-point shooting percentage from their bench players at 39%. I mean, that's Niang, that's Korkmaz, uh, that's the ghost of Isaiah Joe, those guys. <laughs> and they're also uh, they're also fouling less, so that means no Dwight and Andre Drummond has taken on that that challenge. And I mean, teams are starting to really attack Drummond in the pick and roll. Like you can really see when he's out there, it's just constant pick and roll, constant pick and roll. And last night, that adjustment that Doc made, which I thought was a very interesting adjustment, was to put Tobias at the five for a little bit. It didn't work because Tobias isn't as agile defensively either. But I like that. I mean, that's like you said, it's Doc's thinking the game through and trying to figure out solutions on the fly. So give him credit for that. So they're down on fouls, and they're also down in turnovers. So as a whole, as a team, they're down in turnovers. So these little tweaks to the bench through Drummond, through you know, an improved cork moss, ball handling, and Niang have been very positive for the Sixers. If they get a point guard with that second unit, whether it be either Maxi or Ben Simmons, then they could be cooking with gas because I think there's a lot of firepower in that, in that group. Yeah. I, I think it's like, if, if obviously if Ben comes back, it'll be him in the starting lineup. But like even with shake back, I think it might be worth like putting shake in the starting unit just because Maxi can really run with that second unit and put some, pr- yep. some pressure on the rim and open things up. Um, now my next observation, Matisse Thibel, it's been, it's been, it's been something. Um, I'm gonna give you some numbers here. No, do we have to get them? <laughs> <laughs> do we have to? Now, this is gonna be the ultimate small sample size theater, but five below on the court overall, they are plus two. Five below off the court over overall total. They are plus twenty. <laughs> Thibel on the court. Now let's say let's say well, the, Austin small sample size. Like it's been only five games. Okay, put that per hundred possessions. Just project that out with him on the court per hundred possessions, plus four point three. With him off the court per hundred possessions, plus five point eight. So they are. No matter how you slice it, they've been a better team with him on on the bench. Now, perhaps it's a product of the players he's playing with. The second unit is it does not have enough shot creation that is for him to just like be an effective basketball player. But the only credible improvement I can point to in his game is like he's kind of becoming a little bit better of a live dribble passer. But it's only when it's like breaking case of breaking case of fire like scenarios where it's like the ball's going out of bounds and he has to react real quickly. He had a couple of nice passes last night, had a couple of nice like looping passes around the basket to fire back out to the perimeter. But overall he's just generally there's been zero offensive development there. Yeah, man. I, I think I know the, the play you're referencing to like it was a, he came downhill so he, he got the momentum that was space and he kind of drove in and kicked it out to shake, right? And shake yeah. Like 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 it was the shake and then it was also to Niang who then dunked it or laid it up and in in the second yeah. quarter or whatever it was. So far this season he attempted 1.43s per game, 28.6%. Um he is shooting 63.6% on twos, so that's good. 2.2 attempts per game. He's been, I think, in, in extremely passive as a 
as a as a shooter and scorer, like he's gotten a lot of wide open catches, and then he's attacking the closeout that might not even be there, and then he's trying to like yeah. push to the baseline, which is okay, except he can't dribble, and he can't he can barely pass. So, yeah, so the dribble part, like that's on Matisse, man. Like dribbling should be part of an NBA player's like pedigree. So I mean, I understand like it's not for everybody. But you're not like a seven foot two like guy, man. You, that's something I feel like he should have gotten better over the course of his career. And again, nobody's asking you to like initiate offense, but you got to be able to kind of attack closeout from like a stationary position and not just fumble the ball all over the place. And so the dribbling part has been a little bit disappointing. Uh, I've talked about this before with I think you and Chris. I watch the Nets a lot because they're a really good team to watch. Um, and you see a guy like Bruce Brown. Yes. I mean, he's the quintessential Matisse Thibault of the Nets. And if you watch how the Nets deploy him, he's not looked at as a 3 and D guy. Like, they use him in screening roles and cuts. So he will go through a game where you'll be like, wow, you can actually feel Bruce Brown on the offense. And he'll shoot something like 6 for 10 and have like two three-point attempts. But you're like, man, like, this guy's making an impact. Like, Matisse is the complete opposite. Like, he'll be there for 30 minutes. He'll be like, He's even out there. And you look yeah. at the stat line, it's like one for six on three-point line. So it feels like it's a little bit reverse what his role should be. I think they, be, they should be looking at ways for him to, to – like, I think one of the comments says, like, cut, you know, screen, do different things. But it's also on Thibault to, like, you know, develop his game. You know, we get on Ben Simmons a lot for, for not developing. It's got to be on him to, to get a dribble. I mean, the shot may never be consistent enough, but the dribble part of it should be – beyond basic by now i think so he should be able to shoot 34 percent from three that shouldn't be a hard goal to accomplish right. um i think that uh, quentin morris at that should be old school iggy old school iggy had a little bit of shot creation to him so yeah. i don't think you're gonna get that um but the general idea that he can like off the catch wind up with for wind up a three and 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 make it a 34 percent clip is not out outside of the realm of possible. I think that's a very reasonable expectation. Um, they say like he's, you know, he's had great summers of work, whatever he should, if he's putting in the work in the summer, he should be able to catch the ball and not dribble off his foot. <laughs> he pushes a line and, or like dribble or like, like off the catch, just reactively go up and shoot the ball and be comfortable with it. You're going to miss. I get it. Like, like, like sometimes the shooting never comes around. Um, but dribbling should be able to come around passing with accuracy should be able to come around cutting intuitively and consistently when you sense those opportunities is something that should be the bare minimum for him. Um, I think he's doing a little bit, a little bit better of that at cutting, but it's still not enough where he's like a positive overall offensive player um, really is going to be the shooting. And like, we can get on Ben for like, he doesn't shoot the ball, but Ben also does a lot more for you on offense despite not shooting the ball. So you can't really compare the two. Um, even though neither of them have developed quite much as offensive players. By the um, way, if you think he's Iggy, go watch the playoff series against the Magic, game one against the Dwight Howard-led Magic way back in 2009. Dude, that was the that series. That was great. That was – Yeah, was, game was, one, it was Iggy in crunch time. That was a that was a <laughs> insane fadeaway shot over yeah. Ego Turkoglu. It was like falling away, just throws it up in the sky and knocks it down like – there was, it felt like there was no way that ball was going in. He just knocked it down. If Tease ever hits that shot, I'll run down Broad Street and just, you know, 
scream we made it because <laughs> i don't think he's got that in this game sorry no nah, i don't think he has it in his game either um at least not yet but i also think that he's old enough in his life where i just don't think that's gonna be something he can credibly add to his game yeah. um now he'll like occasionally like, he doesn't make the open three but he's the type of dude that will like he'll like he'll like uh cut out and then like fade back to the corner yeah. and then like off of a nice relocation, he'll hit like a contested one. Like, well, what the fuck? <laughs> hit the open ones, dude. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, what's your next observation? Yeah, so I, I try to take more of a bigger picture view of the season. So early in this season, it's like it's tough because you can get like stuck on like details of who's playing well and who's not and whatnot. To me, big picture, what I try to focus on is like late game offense, crunch time, late game offense. This is mine as well. <laughs> That's the name of the game, man. If you're trying to win a championship, you gotta have consistent and coherent late game offense, and uh, that's something that cost them a chance at a championship last year, for reasons we can all theorize. Um, just say and- it. Just say, just you know what happened. Just say it. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot going on there. I mean, Ben being a part of it, Joel was a part of it, Tobias a part of it, coaching the whole thing, the whole thing. Uh, and it's a problem again this year, except you don't have Ben Simmons on the court. So you have one less problem, theoretically, to solve. But to me, you're encountering some of the same issues that you had last year with Ben Simmons on the court. So obviously, they're hindered by personnel. So personnel, it's an issue. They don't have a lead guard. They can just create off the dribble, shoot off the dribble, get you a tough shot. So that puts you in a disadvantage, disadvantageous position to start. Having said that, like, when you break down, for instance, how the Nets won that game against the Sixers and then that meltdown the Sixers had in the fourth quarter, a couple of, a couple of things immediately stood out for me right away. So Tobias as a crunch-type ball handler, to me, you're asking to lose the game. Uh, and, and listen, you and I both like Tobias. We think that the, the money thing is a little bit overhyped because he's a productive borderline all-star NBA player. But when you put him against like James Harden in crunch time, it's like you're watching two different sports because Tobias can't see players on the court. So he drives to score. He's very limited vision. You know, there are moments during that game where you're like, Tobias, there's a pocket pass here for you to make. Like there's no reason for you to go up and try this contested fadeaway. Or drawing contact. Like, he does not draw contact late in games and try to get the free throw line. So, first and foremost, to me, Tobias crunch time, he's got to expand that to be more like a spot-up shooter, assuming that he gets somebody in who can eventually run the offense late. So, that's yeah. number one. And then number two is Joel Embiid. And, I mean, you know, there has been a lot of excuses made around Joel Embiid from the fact that Ben Simmons is a hindrance to him on the court. But, again, you watch him in crunch time. And then you watch a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge in crunch time. I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge is doing things like screening, rolling, sealing his man under the rim, dunking the ball. Like you rarely see Embiid get deep in the post late in games. That could be a function of a lot of things, conditioning, health, you know, the, the physical load that he takes to carry the team on that you, most centers don't. You know, Aldridge plays whatever, 20 minutes a game. But you have to make it easier on yourself. And a game like last night, for instance, when it started getting out of hand, they set a simple pink and roll action with Joel, and Joel, you know, sets a loose screen, doesn't really roll, kind of settles into that mid-range area. So uh, there's a lot there to figure it out. But overall, like, it's more of the same problems. 
with one player that can solve that problem to me, which is Ben Simmons. But you know, we can all theorize about that at a later time. So, yeah, I mean, we can like people can like bitch about how like Ben like, like they don't have any shot creators. Ben literally creates you shots. He just doesn't create them for himself. Creates you creates he creates for other guys. People, but people want the sexy all star that can. Score. I mean, and like it isn't to just like dismiss or poo-poo the idea that like, he didn't like underperform or that he like shouldn't have dunked the ball. He came up woefully short in that series, and he was awful. And it was a culmination of years of mismanagement in terms of his own progression and you know the way that the team handled it in some respects. But Ben undeniably creates the team looks. He he he, he creates open shots for guys all the time. That's what he does. Um, but speaking of Tobias, I have a crazy stat for you. Um, it, it, I hope my calc, I hope my uh, my formula for this is correct because oh, I, I don't know the formula, but I think like, this is just what a rate is. Um, what would you guess Tobias's free throw rate is this year so far? What is it? What would you guess? What would you guess Tobias's free throw rate is so far this year? I'm going to say around twenty percent. <laughs> Take a quick break from the pod to talk about our sponsors at the King Cobra. Do you like shotgunning beer? Do you want to increase your shotgunning time at parties? Check out my boys at the King Cobra. The King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. It's also a tab puller, vent puncher, and all fits on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, you can check them out on Instagram at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. Um, and Cobra is spelled with a K for a 10% discount. On all, on all products, enter the code, trust the Cobra 10, all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. So last season, it was 22.1. And for his career, it's 23.5. So far this season? 14. 9.9. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> He's taken 81 field goals. He's attempted eight free throws. Oh, no. That, is, uh, that isn't going to win you many games, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, that is not going to win you many games. Now, I don't I don't think it's that like he's like avoiding contact cuz he takes a lot of contact. But I think what it is is he's not an above the rim athlete. Um and you know, he 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 sells for mid-range jumpers a lot. He's not a type of guy to get called for for, for fouls on threes cuz he doesn't take enough threes and he also is a it feels like he shoots the ball very short on threes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it, I just don't think he's going to be getting a lot of fouls. Um but, um, yeah, that's not good enough for 10% free throw rate. Now, I don't know if there's a lot that he can do to help it because he does play a pretty physical game. Like, he bullies yeah. people down in the post. But he this isn't one that he doesn't – he doesn't search for contact the way that I think forwards should in his position. But 10% is what he's sitting at, which is – that's not great. Um, and not only that, like, he shoots, what, like three three-pointers a game, four three-pointers a game. So that tells you all you need to know about where the shots are coming from. I think this year he's actually better. He's four. Uh, well, so so far he's uh, shooting four per game, and he's connecting on 1.2 per four. So I noticed that about him. So those shots between, like, 16 feet and the three-point line, he's trying to get that out of his game. So he's taking those, he's making, taking those and taking them behind the arc, which is a good yeah. thing. But yeah. still, man, it's a lot of contested stuff. Uh, and like we saw in the postseason, man, like he's not a super dynamic point uh, ball handler. So there are guys who can stay in front of him, and they're just gonna lock him up, man. They're just gonna lock him up. And but Doc like likes him running pick and roll, likes him isolating him late in games, and I, I don't see it. I just don't see it. 
Yeah. And plus, like, I, like, so I don't, I, I haven't observed what you observed with the 16 to three point line thing, but I will say this. Um, he's shooting 59% on twos, seven of 12. So much, much more significant sample size than he's taking, he, But he's taking him at the rim now. So yeah. those shots are way closer to the rim. But still, he's still an efficient, like, within the arc guy, though. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think that's something he should get away from, per se, but I do understand that the, like, at some point, three is worth more than two, and you can't just turn down threes all the time. Um, my next observation, Tyrese Maxey has been way too passive as a shooter. Um, we discussed this a little bit. But, like, there have been a number of times so far where he's caught the ball in the corner. And he's attacked the closeout. And I'm like, dude, just shoot the fucking ball. They're right there. And like, like, I don't know how many more point guards they can get that are afraid that are passive and shooting. But, it's preposterous. Now, do you think that's a size thing though? Probably a little bit of a size thing, except a lot of times so far this year, he has gotten rejected at the rim. So I, and I also think that sometimes he is searching for contact that doesn't like he just doesn't get and he's left throwing up these awkward fading shots that either side that are just not efficient shots. Like sometimes the three is there. Just take the three, just take the three or like step in and a, a, a bit and like take like a 19 footer. If that's what makes you more comfortable But he's been way too passive on open jumpers so far. I agree. I definitely see that. I think the size plays are on it. Uh, I also think like he's not confident enough in his jump shot yet, which is a natural. I mean, we're, we're not at the Ben Simmons level of like, you know, lack of confidence, but. I think he, he, one of the things I noticed about Maxi, uh, which I'm very impressed by, is that he really plays with the, the team concept. So you can have a guy who probably thinks a little bit better than uh, he actually is and can just go in there, just hijack the office and do some crazy stuff. And yeah, Maxi's not that player. Like he's very under control. He understands like how the offense should flow and who should get the ball where. So I'm very impressed by his composure, but I do agree that he should be taking more three-pointers, as should Tobias Harris and pretty much everybody else in the starting lineup. Yeah. yeah. Milton sucks. Corky should be that kind point guard. I will say this. As as critical of Cookman as I am, and I guess I shouldn't be so much because he's a late first-round pick, but I also think that, like, and this isn't his fault, but, like, I also hold him relative to Pascal Siakam, who was, like, right around that pick. So, not great. <laughs> but... um I don't think Pascal Siakam is a great player either, but he's obviously been yeah, he's a little great. Yeah, um, but Korkmaz has been very good this year. I think on on both ends. I haven't really watched his defense that much, but he's been generally okay as a team defender. He's been awesome offensively, I think, and um, been it's been good for him. So I think maybe he does warrant a little bit of consideration if you were to dabble in the services of a different backup point guard. Um, I think he can handle a little bit. He's been a little bit. He's not afraid to like pass off when pressure is applied. Um, but that's been good. Tiago, your last time. Yeah, yeah. So one point on Cork because I, think I was trying to watch that fourth quarter last night. And Moss has been has improved as a ball handler. He actually handles ball pressure relatively well, even compared to Shake. Yeah, better than like most of their point guards. Actually. Right. He's actually like, oh my god, I don't have to fumble this ball and cost us two easy points. Like, six <laughs> is point guard. But one thing I noticed about him late is that he doesn't have that dynamic passing element. So yeah, there's a specific play last night where it was a simple finger roll. You know, there was like a half a second window where Drummond's wide open. And you gotta hit that. Like you're facing him and you gotta hit that. And he hesitates a little bit. And once you hesitate in the NBA, it's like it's over. So what should have been like a dunk turned into like a late possession kind of turnover. 
so you, you see where like he doesn't have that extra gear as a passer, but uh, you can't you can't really criticize his performance so far. He's been one of the team's best players. Uh, my last point, it's kind of a core Kamaz related point from the standpoint of uh, if you watch the Sixers compared to last year, uh, there's no easy offense. I mean, everything comes in the half court now. Obviously, one of the guys who can help you create that easy offense is Ben Simmons. So Ben Simmons led the team in uh, deflections last year. Do you know who's second on the team in deflections this year, by chance? First is obviously Tyable. Korkmaz. Korkin Korkmaz is the set, second on the Korkin team. Korkin Korkmaz. <laughs> Which, again, it speaks to what you're saying, like his defensive improvements and his engagement on defense. But I'm yeah. not sure if you're trying to get to easy offense, Furkin Korkmaz should be the second on the team in, in deflection. So the Sixers, just some additional numbers. Uh, in transition, sorry, points off turnovers. Last year, fourth. This year, so far, they're 25th. Uh, so for a team that kind of struggles to create in half court, you got to be able to find out ways to get easy offense. And I just think that, you know, right now they're missing one key part of that uh, to do that. So... Hopefully they'll be able to get, either get that person back or get somebody who can actually help that in the department as well moving forward. Yeah. Um, all right. The yams disagree with you. Yams. Uh, I'm. A, I disagree completely with about about the passing. Actually, comparing Milton as a passer. Listen, I'm not comparing to Milton because I don't think Shake Milton's a point guard to begin with. No, he's not. He's not. <laughs> the only person who thinks a point guard. Trying to make him a point guard, and it's like, like, dude, he's not a point guard. <laughs> I don't think they have one point guard on the roster, to be honest. I think, yeah, they, right. I think Max, he's a shooting guard. This guy is – well, I think if, if I'm going to make the argument that Max is a shooting guard, then I'm also going to make the argument that literally 90-something percent of the active NBA point guards are shooting guards. Because, like, Dame's a shooting guard, technically. Um, Steph's a shooting guard in a lot of ways, even though he's a good passer. So, I mean, like, I don't. I think the 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 the, 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 the Needs to be a revised definition of what a point guard is, but Shake, uh, Tyrese's not a point guard yet. Shake's no. never gonna be a point guard. No. Furkan might be their best point guard. <laughs> Austin, you know how do I know they don't have a point guard? I was watching Killing Hayes yesterday. I'm like, man, this guy looks good. Like my baseline for gauging good point guard play is like non-existent. Because you see, like, Killian Hayes make a play, and he's like, wow, this guy could fit with the Sixers. And he I may think, be, like, the worst NBA player right now in all the NBA. I think they should bring back Kendall Marshall. And just put him <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, let's see here. Teddy says, should we sneak tank? No, not yet. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're, we're not there. No, no. <laughs> it's we're through five games. Let's come. Let's cool down a little bit here. Um, my last point is similar to your last point. The late game shot creation is a massive, massive, massive problem. They are just plus four in the fourth quarters, meaning they've only outscored. They're, they're, they're the, the net for their fourth quarters is them plus four, which is or no, actually it's plus two. I I forgot to subtract the last number. So they're plus two in the fourth quarter of games. They've given up. 16 to one runs in the fourth quarter of their, of each of their two for other two home games. Um, so late game shot creation is a very real issue with this team. It's been an issue in the Ben Simmons era. So it's not going to go away if Ben comes back. Um, I asked doc about it last night. 
he was like, well, I think it's a combination of the, you know, the ball sticking. The ball has always been sticking. The ball always sticks because late game shot creation is predicated on isolation. That's what the league is. That's what you need is a, you need the ball to stick to some person's hand so they can fucking create a shot. So the ball sticking is is not isn't is not a necessarily a downside, but the fact that it is in this offense tells you that they don't they they know they don't have a shot creator late in games. So. But- this is where you need the coaching to help because well, there's I don't a know lot you can do though in that scenario. Like, do you like, 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 like the most you can run really is like actions for Tobias to get like a, a like, like a slash down the middle, or like Seth or Danny to get an open three in the corner. Like, that's really the only thing you can run out of that offense. But like late game shot creation is just pick and spread, pick and roll, and you go isolate. So do you remember Brett Brown, like late game Brett Brown offense, which also drove me crazy. No, I don't remember like, that. A bunch of people like running around, like passing the ball and like, just give the ball to Embiid, God damn it. <laughs> or give the ball to Ben Simmons. And people are just like passing it. The shot clock is winding down. So we've gone from that to the complete opposite. We're literally like everybody just stands around and waits and watches to all get double, triple team in the post. To me, there's got to be some middle ground. I mean, I'm not a head coach, but I'm just watching it from, from the outside. I'm like, we've gone from full ball movement to zero ball movement. And there's got to be some action where you can run to free somebody up, put a defender in conflict, either stationary or emotion. And it just feels very basic in crunch time. So I think a little bit of creativity will unlock some offense. Again, it's not good enough for you to win a championship. It's not going to be, but... Just in the moment where you're just trying to sort out your roster, do something a little bit more, more creative is where I would go with that. Yeah, and I think like going off of that, um, they simply just like they don't have the juice as an offensive team to like when it comes to nut cutting time is something that Kyle Newbeck writes in his articles, and I like that phrase. So I'm gonna steal it for this moment. Yeah. Um, when it comes to nut cutting time, they just don't have somebody who is comfortable handling the ball. And you know what's the sad part is? This is where I do blame Ben Simmons. If he were willing, if he and his camp were willing to let him play off ball a little bit yeah. and not be featured, they could have just kept Jimmy Butler and this problem would have been gone. Or they could have just signed another shot creator and this problem wouldn't have existed. But because Ben wants to have the ball in his hands, because his team, because his camp wants the ball to be in his hands, they don't have a shot creator. So, yeah. so that so that that's a problem. Um, now, what I would say is this: it's not going to get better. <laughs> it's not, not going to get better as is. Like this is what you got. This is your product right now, and in, unless someone finds it in themselves to become that go-to guy in crunch time somehow, or less Embiid becomes a better crunch time player. Cause let's face it. He's a great three quarters of the game player, not a great fourth quarter player. Um, and so until they find that they're going to need to have 35 point leads to win games. <laughs> cause they, cause once teams like last night, the Pistons, the, the Owen, whatever the fuck Pistons went, went on a, a, a 16 to one run 22 point game was cut down to six. Um, I hate to break the news to you. They're not getting a 35-point lead against the Bucks. It's just not going to happen. No. Well, <laughs> so. you, well, you might, but they'll also be starting like Thanasis, Jordan, War. Well, he'll, he'll have 45 on his own. But uh, you know, <laughs> you know, they're not going to be good enough um, to sustain 
leads in 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 in, in games where they're not up 35 points because teams are going to teams that fall down are going to be comfortable with being down because they're going to know if we get on a run in that second half and get and make them sweat it's all on our side because we yeah. have the shot creators they're they they know in their in their minds that they don't have that guy and they're going to freeze up a little bit and that's when we strike and that's why i don't feel like any leads going to be safe with this team until no. they get ben back or until something gives and someone steps up but if they don't have that they're going to lose a lot of games by 5 points and they're going to win a lot of games by 20 plus because that's the only way they're going to win games. They're not going to, they're going to luck into crunch time victory sometimes. And the flip side of that, if you're down one point or you're down three points, like forget it, you're not coming back from that. That will feel, that will feel like a 30 point deficit. You might, you might need, like, you might need to just have Franklin go back in that half court behind the back shot at halftime. You might need him to just go in there and do it. And then you, at the counts is 10 and you're up seven. Oh, man. I mean, it's it's the situation they find themselves in. I mean, personnel decisions over the last three to four years have been atrocious for the most part until kind of Daryl Morey got here. Uh, and some of the picks they, they made have been a disaster. So yeah. it's the price that you pay. Yeah. Tiago, where can they find you? So, yeah, we uh, cover a lot of stuff for the Pain Alliance. So the com. we write stuff, articles, uh, features, Chris and I do the post game on YouTube at the Painted Lines YouTube channel. We also do a show called Morning Cup of Joe where we break the game down a little more in detail, you know, which requires like two hours of sleep. So I kind of feel a little bit of what you're uh, feeling now these days, Austin, because <laughs> some of these games don't end until like 11 o'clock and you do the show and you wake up at five o'clock in the morning again. But it's a lot of fun and uh, we do a lot of different breakdowns. So make sure to check that out. For sure. You can find me. You can find him at, on Twitter at tscavia. Find me on Twitter at NBA Curl. I cover the Sixers day to day for the Painted Lines. As always, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Make sure to uh, subscribe, rate, review on Apple Pods, subscribe on SoundCloud, subscribe on YouTube at the Painted Lines. Um, as always, everybody, have a good weekend. We'll see you next time for another episode of the T2MB.